Hi folks, and thanks for listening to this Tortoise Shack podcast. A little bit of housekeeping before we kick off. You know what I'm going to ask you. If you are listening, if you're one of the thousands of people who are listening, please help us keep this show on the road. Uh, it's been a phenomenal reaction in the last couple of weeks to all the work we've done, particularly around the lifting of the moratorium on no-fault evictions. And while it's great to see it being so well-received, we are really struggling as a platform. So if you could, please click that link that says patreon.com forward slash tortoise and try it for a month. That's all we're asking. Try it out for a month. Uh, it's often said that if you bumped into your favorite podcast host, would you buy them a fancy cup of coffee? Would you buy them a a, a scone and, and a cup of tea? Well, this is your way to do that. And that price of a scone and a cup of tea helps us keep the mics on and the conversations going. We have no ads. We have no sponsors. We rely entirely on you, dear listeners. And we are grateful for every single cent we receive. Thank you for listening. Thanks for the support, for liking, sharing, reviewing. More importantly, do chip in, pay it forward, and help keep the mics on. I won't delay any further. Enjoy the podcast. Hello and welcome to the Echo Chamber Podcast. My name is Tony Groves. I'm back as promised, folks. Uh, just a quick bit of housekeeping. Uh, we have a live online event on Wednesday evening. Rory is going to host a Tortoise Shack Live on the... Uh, where will the, where will we go after the lifting of the eviction ban and what's happening? So we'll have a list of well, with guests and panelists, and but there will be a Q and A and a chat section that I'll try to moderate. So so the link is out already for patrons. If you are getting this now, click the link, register, come along, and you'll be able to have your say in what we believe is the cruelest decision an Irish government has made in our lifetimes. Anyway, uh, and also. Just have to plug it on Thursday evening. Uh, our, our friend Andrew O'Brien, uh, Andy, as you know, does the May Day badge appeals and he has been doing them for a number of years now. He's launching his his new range on Thursday in United Union in Abbey Street. And yours truly will be uh, chairing one of the one of the talks that it's going on about. It'll be an anti-racism talk. So it's a bit strange to have a white middle class man as the chair. But nonetheless, trust me, the guests are excellent. So come along buy the bloody badges and if you can't make it along buy the badges anyway because Andy does great work and he's the money is going towards Massey the movement of asylum seekers in Ireland anyway enough plugging I'm delighted to be rejoined on the podcast again uh, in a different guise this time by uh, I'm going to say friend of the pod he might think different um, but but he is a PBP uh, rep and he is also now for the benefit of, of listeners the co-founder of the post-grad workers organization and chair of the Trinity uh, branch of that Connor Reddy. Connor, it's great to see you. How are you keeping? Yeah, it's good to be back, Tony. Return guest again. It's been a while. Yeah, it was saying to you before we came on that this is episode 1002 and you were on episode 500, uh, but it does only seem like bloody yesterday, you know? It does, yeah, and it really isn't that long ago. We're talking a couple of months, I think, isn't it? Yeah, or maybe well, years. Uh, uh, we put out, we put, yeah, when you're putting out one a day nearly, you, you, you quickly... Yeah, yeah, too too prolific. Like as as people often say to me when the 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 patrons get the emails in, they go, "That's a lot of emails, Tony." You know the notifications. <laughs> Sometimes two a day, but that's because there's a lot happening. And you, my friend, are busier than most. So not only are you a PhD uh, working on one of a really exciting project that I've I've kind of had a, a nerd like interest in, but you're also now fighting for justice for post grads to to basically receive a living kind of wage and a way to, to try and get through it. And, you know, we'll get to the politics of what's happening around around housing maybe at the end of this. But tell us, who are the PWO and, and what what why did you set it up and what are your hopes? 
Yeah, so I think you kind of touched on it there uh, straight away. The, the basic rationale for having a union for postgrads is that PhDs and other working postgrads aren't paid a living wage. Ireland is an outlier compared to the rest of Europe in terms of how we treat uh, postgraduate researchers. So when I say postgraduate researchers, I mean PhD uh, researchers and also people doing research masters. So I think I'd make a distinction between ourselves and then people that come to uh, universities to taught postgraduates that uh, go to classes, that uh, submit assignments, that take exams. We're quite different in that what we do primarily uh, is uh, research. So whether that's in a lab or in a library or an archive, uh, we produce original research, we contribute to the body of scholarly knowledge, uh, we teach classes, we mark exams. Uh, we're really central, Tony, to um, Ireland's research output and also to uh, the higher education system here, but we're totally devalued. Um, the best paid uh, of all of us, um, I'm on an IRC, Irish Research Council Award, uh, I get €19,000 per year as a stipend to live on. Um, the average in Europe uh, for someone doing a PhD uh, in terms of supports is €32,100. So we're far behind uh, the rest of Europe. And actually, there was a survey done on this not too long ago, I think by Eurodoc, uh, or doctoral union across uh, Europe, um, and they found that Ireland, uh, when you compare the average uh, stipend for a PhD to the cost of living, Ireland was the lowest across Europe, not just the EU. So this includes non-EU countries as well, includes Turkey, it includes some countries that really should be based on like the economy and the myth of the Irish economy, we should be far ahead of and we're not. We're bottom of that table uh, and it's very difficult, middle of a cost of living emergency. It's especially tough for all of us uh, to, to survive. So it, it's, it's a basic intro. Just to just to put that in context, though, so the, the figures you've quoted me are well below minimum wage and well below a living wage yeah, uh, yeah. and and running well behind average rents. Yeah, massively, massively behind. So uh, if you're on, if you're lucky enough to be on one of these uh, Irish government awards, either through IRC or SFI, you're earning, if you're working a full time uh, week, which most of us are, and most of us work in excess of that too, uh, you're earning 22% less than the minimum wage. Uh, and when you look at rents, when you look at uh, especially rents in the areas that universities are based, like universities aren't in uh, the areas of the country where uh, rents are, well, there's nowhere in the country where rents are affordable, but they're in the, the absolutely worst areas, they're in major cities, uh, population centres where it's impossible, totally impossible to find uh, places. I've been through this struggle myself. I've lived in three or four different places in the last uh, two and a bit years. Uh, I know people in far worse situations than me um, and it's it, it, it's really, really difficult and obviously has a massive impact on the quality of research that we're able to do, the quality of teaching that we're able to deliver uh, in universities for undergrads and postgrad students that come here uh, to get an education. So um, yeah, massive effects there. Uh, I do want to mention too, though, that there's a massive variability within uh, our cohort. So uh, I focus so far on the IRC and SFI awards, which are the mm. two big national, uh, nationally funded or government funded awards. There's people that earn uh, far, far less in internal awards, uh, three, four thousand euro stipends, sometimes having to work unpaid uh, to have their fees covered. So you're actually paying to come uh, to work. So you're paying for the privilege of working, which is just 
ridiculous. And again, we're complete outliers in Europe for this. The model that an increasing number of European countries are moving towards is one that treats us as employees rather than students. You look at all the Nordic countries, you look at Germany, you look at the Netherlands, you look at even France are increasingly moving towards this model too, which uh, kind of sees that we're, you, we are critical. Research is a job. Research is work. It's productive. Um, all the major metrics that universities are judged on. Um, you look at like citations, you look at international impact, all of these things we have a hand in. So we are productive. We're essential and we should be valued for that. I, I don't disagree with you, but I want to make a strange link and you might tell me I'm mad, but there's also a link between the quality of researches that universities do and their their uh, rankings in the academic tables for universities. And then, you know, so so because we're obsessed with, you know, why are we no longer in the one top 100? Why don't we have any universities in the top? Why have we only got two in the top 150? Why All of these things. Surely there's a cause and effect here. Oh, totally. Yeah. And look, our question as well is part of a much broader uh, a much broader crisis in higher education and research, uh, massively underfunded sector, uh, huge issues of understaffing at every level. Um, and uh, I guess our problems stem from that. Our problems, we've come to plug the gaps that have been left in the system uh, because of those cuts, because of understaffing, because it's people retired, it's not people to replace them. Uh, so we end up uh, shouldering uh, the burden of teaching and uh, demonstrating and things that people in permanent jobs would have done uh, in the past. So, yeah, that much larger uh, question of funding of higher education, I think, is part of this and can mm. be divorced from what we're doing. Can I just ask on the, the people who are getting, they're effectively having to pay their own way. So 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 you as a as a as a devout and 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 self-declared socialist, you understand that labor should be paid for. And that and then not only that, but actually what you're creating there is a hierarchy whereby, you know, only people of certain socioeconomic backing or backgrounds can actually afford to to do this. So are we actually excluding some of the best and the brightest purely on the basis of uh, you got to pay to play? Oh, absolutely. There's no, 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 no question of that. And I think like, what's really tragic is the impact that has on research when certain voices are shut out of the conversation. And um, I mean, the research that we do um, in, 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 in our group, looking at how socioeconomic status and homelessness affects health, if there weren't people, working class people able to access that, I mean, we're so informed by our participants, but it would completely flavor what we uh, are able to produce. And I think um, it'd be to the detriment of uh, education, research and society if people are were shut out. And they are being shut out increasingly too. People aren't uh, aren't opting to stay uh, in education. Uh, it's already very difficult. Uh, you look actually, uh, because we're students, another big part of this is that we're denied the social benefits that workers get through PRSI contributions. So if you have uh, kids, it's very difficult to take up a PhD because there's no entitlement to um, maternity or paternity leave. There's no entitlement to supports for childcare. All of these things that you get if you're a worker are denied to PhD researchers. And there are, in the past anyway, there were PhDs with kids. There still are. But I, I, I venture to say that there's less today than there were in the past because it is becoming so difficult to find that balance. And it means, yes, shutting the best and the brightest out of the system, unfortunately. But it's also funny how you've also adopted the the language of saying, you know, if you were different between if you were a PhD researcher or you were a worker, because you are a worker. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, like you're finishing. We got to wrap this up in twenty minutes because you have to be lecturing people. Like that's that's students. You're, so that's work. 
so so let's let's not let's let's it's almost like you know we we're so we're so used to hearing certain things and put in certain categories that we just don't even change because the language unfortunately doesn't help them when we're trying to when we're trying to turn around. Just on the on the take up for this, like how many people are we kind of talking about? I I I people are going to argue this is small. Uh, this is not a this is not a big this is not a big deal. It's it's a small cohort. So what how many people are we talking about? And do you have any idea of how much money it might take to fix it? Yeah, so there's ten and a half thousand PhDs uh, in the country, and actually that's a figure we've only got recently. So the Department of Higher uh, Educate Higher Education, Higher Further Education Research is uh, fairly new, as we know. Um, yeah. And when we went to them first uh, back in September, they couldn't give us a figure uh, for how many PhDs there were in the country in the sector that they're responsible for. They didn't know how many of us there were, so they've done a lot of data collection. They've given us this number since. Um, but obviously, there's a variety of ways that people are. Funded that there's unfunded people too it has to be said which is a real travesty um but uh we're trying to pick apart how how much it would cost we are trying to cost what we want what we want is uh, uh the national living wage guaranteed to all phd researchers ideally through contract of employment so you'd be looking at um probably a gross uh, salary of maybe uh, twenty eight or thirty thousand. I've, I've I've actually done the sums while we're talking here, and it's yeah. it's, it's about two hundred and ninety million euro. Well, I've heard, I've heard figures slightly less than that as well. Yeah, I'm on, I'm just working now again. I'm I'm trying to make sure that like that there's that there's an average, and I'm just trying and I'm working on a on yeah, an average here. Yeah. But like, I mean. Maybe if, even if it is less, I mean, we're, we're not talking a lot of money considering the, no. the and especially be, you got to remember research R&D is, is, is actually usually lucrative to universities and yeah. to, to the states and the work that comes out of it. Because, you know, Connor, no offense to you, but if you come out with something, someone else might actually benefit from it. Like not necessarily yeah. Connor ready. And I know you've been I've been following the work. That's that why we do this, though. That is exactly why we do this. That's why we're in the game that we're in. Uh, we want to help people into broader society we want to enrich society uh with things that we create also with knowledge though uh that's something that's massively undervalued in the university too it's not just about what new technologies that we can produce it's also about the knowledge the culture uh the uh, way that we preserve uh heritage all these different things have a value uh so it's not just what we produce but yeah i, I agree completely tony and uh that figure that you mentioned um I, I we had a press conference yesterday usi came along and they're great for figures uh, mm-hmm. Because they do this stuff all day long. So they said, I think for every euro invested in um, uh, research in the university sector, uh, there's something close to euro 70 uh, in returns. Mm. Uh, so a massive uh, a massive multiplier effect there when you take it over as the size of the whole sector. Um, and yeah, it, 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 it's investment that's worthwhile uh, on every uh, possible metric, I think, yeah. No, look, it's fair to point fair to point out because they always say, even from one of the one of the arguments the government have put up against, you know, was the early childhood education, and they were the one of the figures I remember from a UK study said, you know, that oh, sorry, the Scandinavian one was for every every uh, euro they were putting in, it, it in terms of educational attainment down the road was four euro recovered effectively. Yes. So we, we need to start working our way down through this and understanding for what benefits society and not just uh, takes money off the bottom line, which is the obsession. You, your uh, your launch yesterday it was uh it got plenty of attention for a couple of reasons uh what but one one most mostly for just the work that was involved but also then for the uh the mistiming i will say for for a, a minister to be happening to be in in the local vicinity just bring before we get to to the politics of it um the 
were you were you satisfied that now that like you know this this the PWO now is, is established and there's there's a set of needs now and do you think Minister Simon Harris is is willing to work with you guys? Yeah, well, look, we uh, we're part of a, a national review process into THD support. So uh, Simon Harris announced this around the time of the last budget. Um, it was delayed by several months, much to uh, our displeasure. But we are part of that process now. We've met with the the two chairs, uh, and within the terms of reference, there are things like a review of employee status. There's a review of support stipends and pay. There's a review of visa conditions for non-EU PhDs too. Who are a huge cohort uh, in and of themselves it's actually a travesty when you look we uh, spend in irish universities a lot of money training people to very high level uh, and then at the end of a four four year uh, phd someone who's non-eu um those four years don't count towards the yeah. residency if they want citizenship i'd so forgotten about that i'd forgotten i'd forgotten about that because i've known yeah. a few people who who were caught in that even even in the medical profession people caught in certain yeah. certain roles and, and then mm-hmm. you know no it doesn't count towards and actually a lot of them got caught if this is another thing that people do you remember the amnesty for well it was amnesty is the wrong word but they said they were going to help you know people have a pathway to citizenship and anybody though who was in who was who was in those sort of situations didn't count they they, they fell outside of the net yeah. and yet it got reported as in the state were doing some sort of uh, wonderful deal for for people who were not on a, not naturalized, I suppose, is the ugly words we use about yeah. around, around around people. Um, now we need to come to the actual political side of things. You yourself are a out and out activist. You're also a member of PVP. You've you've campaigned. You've run for elections. So we put all that out there on on the front foot. What sure. do you think the message is to people, students, PhDs, anybody trying to get uh, affordable accommodation the government has sent to you? What have they sent to you? First of all, we can talk about it in, in through the prism of the last few years, but let's mm-hmm. let's just talk about it really about the vote to lift the temporary moratorium on no fault evictions because that's all it is. It is not a it's not an eviction ban as such. It's just can't throw you out if you're actually playing by the rules. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, Tony, I, I, I struggle to even express myself on this one with how angry it's made me. Um, like how many people I know as well that have been served eviction notices directly that have absolutely no prospect of finding a place after the misery that it's created in their lives. Um, it's 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 shocking. I think they've reached a, a, a new a new low. Um, and I think the message to young people has to be the same as it has been for the last while. So, like, they can't rest on our laurels anymore, especially not now. We actually need to uh, mobilise like we've done before, like we've done uh, around uh, water charges, the household tax. I think we need to see that, but we need to see that on steroids. We need to see that multiplied several times over. I think it's a real crunch point for people. Like, they really will not have places to go. So the message has to be, if you are facing eviction, don't make yourself homeless. Don't move. Stay put uh, and rely on the support of your neighbours, your friends, your community. Um, and, and I think it, the onus is on us when those situations emerge to get behind people and to support them. And um, it's not illegal. It's not. It's not. It's not a criminal offence to overhold. Uh, there are channels that you can go through. There's the RTB that you'll see first. There's appeals that you can make to courts. And um, all of these things uh, can delay uh, the, the, the 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 misery and the horror of being made homeless. So that I think has to be the primary message. But beyond that too, I think protest. Protest is really important. I know raised the roof of call the protest on the first of April. Car to have won the night before. 
um, I'd be really urging people, especially young people, students, to get out uh, and make themselves heard, make themselves counted on both of those days. Uh, and from there, uh, to, to, to build something much bigger. Obviously, I'm watching what's happening in France at the minute, and I think that has to be the beacon to all of us. That's the example. Um, there's often attempts to divide young people and older people um, and kind of play this generational game in politics. But there, I think it's been cut through really, really well. And you've had students and young people uh, with people uh, who are coming to the end of their careers and looking for pensions uh, on the issue of pension reform. And I think that's the type of movement that we need to build here. Uh, all about solidarity, solidarity from below, solidarity in communities in the workplace and not falling for that zero-sum game, uh, having a vision of something that's much better, much fairer. Uh, and I think that is possible in Ireland. So I think this should be as shocking and as horrific as it is for people. It has to be uh, the point that we, uh, we I'll use Darrell O'Brien's word, it has to be the, or a phrase, it has to be the point that we turn a corner. This has to be us turning a corner towards something different and making a break with them. Um, that would be, I think, the message. You know, I think actually uh, it's not just uh, so... Two quick points. 11,754 people currently in emergency accommodation. We know three and a half thousand of them are children. Uh, every time this that number goes up post April, the government, like not that they own, don't own it now, they need to they need to be reminded that they actually added to it right now. And then to go to your point, because I just want to be very clear, you've you've called on people to overhold. Um, so it's not just an opinion. This is from Assistant Professor of Maynooth Law, Law um, Donald Coffey. He has said. Core tenant of the rule of law is access to justice. For anyone facing an eviction notice in the immediate future, I would suggest exhausting all avenues of appeal to test the legality of those notices. First step would be through the RTB. If thousands of appeals are lodged with the RTB, the effectively the, the system will effectively grind to a halt. The function of the system is the responsibility of government and not something that should trouble anyone facing an eviction notice. In fact, if the system does does stall, this would hopefully allow the government to put in place some effective measures to deal with the situation facing tenants at the end of the eviction ban. The fact that they have not done so is thus far irresponsible. So that you know, don't need to take me and Connor's word for it. There's there's a professor, uh, an assistant professor of law, telling you the, the facts, folks. Um, the other, the last thing I'd say, though, obviously you say protest is is central to it. Mm. Uh, you've you've said that there's se several different people, uh, different events happening at different times. Connor, we need we need we need that. You were there, I'm assuming, on uh, the Ireland for All rally. It was, yes, yeah, yeah amazing, amazing. We need day. we we need that that coming together as as a, as a force, not um, this, someone doing it on Tuesday at half six and someone doing it on a Thursday. No, that's all. I'm not to knock yeah. that, but but we literally need a show like that goes back to when a hundred thousand people took to the streets for the water marches, Absolutely. water charges. Um, what are PBP pushing for? Uh, PBP will be supporting both demonstrations, of course, uh, will be at both. And I, I, I agree with the general point. But look, PBP are hopeful at the minute, uh, as horrific as the situation is. I think the fact that we had uh, 50,000 was the number uh, for Ireland for All that the media uh, went with. So I'll go with it. 50,000 people out on a really positive message of hope, unity and the possibility of something better in this country. So I think that's the first time that's happened in the best part of the decade. So, like, things are beginning to move again. People were a bit slow waking up from the slumber of COVID and the lockdowns and the pandemic. But I think now people are starting to push back. They are starting to see the need for that. So hopeful times. Um, I think PDP, uh, the big message that we're trying to sell at the minute, and God knows when we'll face an election, is that after the next election, we have to, we have to break that cycle of fit again and Fianna Fáil rule. And there actually is a historic uh, possibility here for uh, radically different, a left government that 
that would, uh, I guess, afford tenants the rights that they deserve, the rights that they have in all other European countries uh, to long-term leases that afford workers the kind of rights uh, that the PWO and other unions are looking for uh, that would take uh, serious uh, and actually um, uh, very necessary climate action and uh, action that fits in with the true meaning of the uh, term uh, just transition, which I know Eamon Ryan um, spoke about yesterday in Trinity. Um, but I, I think that possibility is there. And a- a- Eamon, Eamon did leave by an emergency exit rather than face you, Connor. He did, yeah, yeah. Now that that, that was, was totally unplanned. Um, we happened to be coming back to uh, Trinity from our uh, launch protest at the Doll, and uh, we've seen a worker. I won't say uh, from what department in Trinity in case I get him in trouble. But he told me that so and so Eamon Ryan is in there, uh, and um, you should you should protest. And so we, we did. We obliged. Um, and uh, we had a big PA system with us. So when that's indoors, it sounds very loud indeed. And uh, mm. Yeah, he, he wouldn't come out the front door. So I think it, it ended early. He left out the back door. He'd been disrupted by some uh, undergrad student activist journalist talk. I think that's really important. Some people don't like that type of antagonistic politics. But God, how antagonistic and how rude and how uncivil uh, is it to uh, uh-huh. condemn people to homelessness and to desperation? I think that's what do I say all the time? The cult of civility is a yeah, pox on yeah, our democracy, yeah, where yeah, the idea box, whereby yeah. where people... I saw what the what the lads from I think it was XOR, uh, they were Extinction Rebellion activists. Yes, I think yeah. they they you know they talked about the fact that you know that that the the world is burning, you're making people homeless, you're doing, you know, you've you've voted for these things and you're standing there saying all the things that you're not actually implementing. Exactly. I, I think I made the joke, you know, fact check, no lies detected. Yeah. Uh, and 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 very much the case whereby why is it worse that they interrupted the, them than what he's actually doing? I mean, so so it's it's yeah. it is very infuriating. Um we do need to make people uncomfortable. And I'm sorry now, yes. but you know, yeah. civil disobedience doesn't mean um being tone policed and how you protest. Yeah. I'm yeah, saying, you know, yeah. like, like Look, there's very real consequences for people as well. So to, like tone policing people that are directly affected by uh, the eviction ban, by the horrific housing situation that we have, by, like, I guess, climate activists that are terrified about the futures that might uh, lay ahead of them. And um, like you can't, you can't, you can't t- t- tell those people to shut up when it's their futures, their lives are literally affected by this stuff. So. Yeah. And the last message to it, I suppose, is that people, we still have the right to protest and, and assemble in this country. So bloody well use it. That's the truth. That's uh, like your, your, your democratic duty isn't done every few years when you get to tick a box. And I suppose the one positive I will say to you, kind you don't know when you said about, you don't know when the election will come. I think the election might be sooner than we think, because mm-hmm. I do think, I do hope that people don't accept when we get to the 4,000 children, you know, but the other thing on it, is the government set a set a time limit on it by their suspension of Nessa Hurrigan of fifteen months because you know yes. they've effectively thrown her out of the Green Party. Yeah. But that's yeah. the starting gun of their their thinking a uh, a sort of summer election twenty twenty four. That's what yeah. that's that's the plan. Let's yeah. hope it doesn't come to that. Listen, folks, we're going to leave it there. Thanks, Connor, for your time again. Uh, we, Rory is back in uh, later on this afternoon, so you'll 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 get that as well. And um, we've, uh, we've a few things lined up for next week including 
uh, the looking at the Labour Party, possibly with Ivana Bacic and their no confidence motion in the government. And Keen O'Callaghan from the Sock Dems will join me to talk about the housing situation because it is the most uh, pressing issue facing us all in this country. Oh, we also hope to go back to cover events in the West Bank and Israel over the weekend. I just have to, I just have to tie down someone to do, uh, to, to give me the time to have that chat. Talk to you all very, very soon. Take care. Bye bye. Tony and Martin, Martin and Tony, speaking to interesting people only. It's the Echo Chamber Podcast. Subscribe now on Patreon.